This episode of the Rasafari podcast contains adult themes and may not be suitable for listeners of all ages. Listener discretion is advised. He's just this big blueberry that we cart around on a tea perch. Hello, lovers. My name is John Rossi, and I'm a touring drummer with a passion for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos and aquariums. Now, I want to share some sexy stories from those places with you. So get ready to hear all about the love and lust you can find at the zoo. You're tuned in to Rasafari After Dark. Oh, yeah. Hi. Hello. Hey there. Welcome back to the only podcast that tries to apply the Kinsey scale to other species, Rasafari After Dark. After Tuesday's episode, which featured Laura Houston talking all about exciting adaptations for and behaviors around mating in the animal kingdom, I thought I would bring you an episode featuring some friends of the pod sharing stories of love and sex from their zoos. I have three guests today who are going to be sharing a variety of stories with you. First, we'll hear about the smoothest bird around from Danny Poirier Larson. Then, we'll get into all the details of bonobo sex with my first-time guest, Melissa Peterson. Boy, that was a unique way to meet someone for the first time, let me tell you. And if you don't know it, bonobos are kind of famous for their sex lives, so uh, it's, an, it's an interesting chat. After that, Kara McSweeney is back to tell a quick tale of a different kind of love, but one that still deserves to be shared on Valentine's Week. It's also a good palate cleanser after the bonobos discussion, not gonna lie. But before we get to all that, a quick reminder. You can support the pod by visiting patreon.com slash rasafari. There are exclusive bonus sections from some of the episodes that you can only get by being a patron. You can also check out some show merch at rasafari.redbubble.com. Of course, you should make sure you're following along on Instagram and Facebook at rasafari. And finally, don't forget to click subscribe, and if you could take the time to leave a five-star rating and a review, it would help continue to grow the podcast. Thanks. I appreciate it. Also, just a quick programming note. After today's episode, we are getting back to some regular Rossafari episodes for the next few weeks. It's been so much fun bringing you Rossafari around the world, the bonus episode featuring Sammy Ray and the Friends, and now Rossafari After Dark. I've gotten a ton of positive feedback about all of these episodes, and I really appreciate it. I'll be sure to continue to look for cool ways to bring you special episodes in the future. Remember, you can always message me on Instagram or Facebook, or send an email to rasafaripod at gmail.com if you have any comments or suggestions, or if you think you or someone you know might make a great guest. Okay, it is time to get to these interviews. My first guest is Danny Poirier Larson. You may remember her from the recent Rossafari Live that we did, or from episode 26, Unexpected Kookaburra. Danny is the curator of birds and training at Southwick's Zoo in Menden, Massachusetts. Danny is an incredible leader and trainer, and I'm always so happy to have her on the show. This segment starts with a mysterious rom-com and ends with a serious discussion about how human behaviors can cause confusion with citizens. A word that Danny taught me and that I like to use now. So without further ado, here's Danny Poirier Larson of Southwick's Zoo. 
All right. So uh, real quick, give everybody a reminder of who you are. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Danny Poirier, and I'm the curator of birds and training at Southwick Zoo. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I am. Today, we are here to talk about uh, sexy time with birds. So uh, <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell me some things. For those listening, when John first reached out to me for this episode, I said, like, LOL, I can give you some anti-Valentine's Day related content because that's pretty much what I deal with with my birds uh, because we don't breed them or at least we don't intentionally breed them. <laughs> Surprise, kookaburra. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, I work with a lot of parrots for those who know, a couple other non-parrots, but my first story bird that I wanted to tell everyone about is this hyacinth macaw named Benjamin. We call him Ben. Um, for those who don't know what hyacinth macaws are, they're the largest macaw species in the world. And they're just these big giant blue birds. They're huge, about like two to three pounds on average, which for birds is pretty big. Um, but the ones that we take care of at the zoo are sort of big softies. Like they're just the absolute best. And everybody pretty much falls in love with them instantly just because they're so intrinsically beautiful. You just walk up to them and you're like, oh my God, that's a bird. They're huge. They're so gorgeous. And people just kind of instantly fall in love. So uh, Ben, our male hyacinth macaw has been at the zoo for 25 years i want to say he was hatched at the zoo so he's been around people his whole life and he he works like some serious magic when it comes to interacting with people and so he kind of like picks up on people who fall in love with him instantly and ever since i first started at the zoo i was told right off the bat that he always falls in love with the new girl like right away. And it's, it's usually always a lady. Um, and I he have, just, I have he, friends who are like that. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm sure thing. you do. Oh yeah. <laughs> so he pretty much sees the lady and just instantly falls in love. He did it to me when I first started, I've seen him do it to interns time and time again. And so he's just so funny. He sits out on exhibit in a big open space and we bring him back in at the end of the day. So the best way I explain Ben to new people when they come around is like he already fell in love with you at first sight. Um, but what's really funny is I went to bring him out to exhibit one day and I had him on a golf cart on a tea perch, which sounds kind of funny, but that's how we bring him out to exhibit. He's trained to basically ride on a tea perch on a golf cart and he doesn't fly. He's really not good at it. He doesn't have his wings clipped or anything, but he just never really fledged, learned how to fly from his parents. So he's just this big blueberry that we cart around on a tea <laughs> perch and he's great. Um, so I went to bring him out onto exhibit one day and we have to stop at the end of the road and cross the street into the zoo because where we house the birds is across the street. And no, no lie, this woman was just going to pass. Like we had to go over this like speed bump to get to the other side where the zoo is. And this woman was just like on the main road and she was going over the speed bump. So I waited for her to pass and she saw us. And usually people are like really flabbergasted when they see this like big, beautiful bird on a golf cart, like with a zookeeper. It's like the weirdest thing. And she stops dead in her tracks, which I was like, okay, yeah, I have a bird. And she is in this like 
what do they call it? A convertible. So like the tops down and she's got these like big glasses. She's like this attractive middle-aged woman. And she looks out over her shoulder and she goes, Ben. (laughs) And I, (laughs) I looked at her and I was like, uh, and she's like, Hey Ben, Hey buddy. And for anyone who knows Hyacinth McCause or who works with them, he just immediately started working the charm. They do this thing where they're like, their feathers get kind of puffy and they just like, they'll look back and forth. Like their heads will just tilt from side to side. So he starts doing his little like charming side to side head look at her. And I could have been on fire. She wasn't even looking at me. Like (laughs) she was just so immersed in Ben and he was just kind of like flirting with her from far away. And she's, she, Finally, she makes eye contact with me and she says to me, oh, I know, Ben, we go way back. And then she drove off and my jaw was like to the floor. I was just like, who is this woman? How does she know Ben? And it was just the funniest thing. She could have just been a zoo fan or maybe a volunteer that I didn't know or a family friend from like way back in the day. But like I said, to this day, it's still a mystery. I have no idea who this woman is. And so I always tell people that story when they first meet Ben because they love him instantly and I'm like oh trust me he loves you instantly too and then I tell the story about this mystery woman who showed up in a convertible who was just absolutely like in awe of him so that the was... boy can't fly might have might have ditched you you know oh yeah up in the he would have been like bye <laughs> And another thing that's funny about that, because he always likes the new girl, I'm like last on his list of tolerable humans. So when I ask Ben to come out and step onto the tea bridge for me, the first thing I have to do is ask everybody in the room to peace out. Everybody has to leave so that Ben is not tempted to say no to me. And then I kind of like worked it. I mean, he's he's trained to step up and he the thing with him is he if he chooses like if he if he trains us and says no I'm only going to step up for this one person then it'll make our jobs really difficult and for a brand new person who has never handled a bird before to ask them to handle a hyacinth macaw is just like it's not it's not in it's not in the cards so so yeah that's (laughs) that's Ben our hyacinth macaw and that's the story of how he falls in love with people so I guess that that qualifies. Oh, right? it definitely qualifies. That's great. That's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, that was funny. Um, okay, so then I have a couple other things to say, like about parrots in general. And you know, I love those citizens, right, I John? Do. And I remember that <laughs> word. I'm so excited. <laughs> so the parrots get really difficult to manage and work with during the spring. And I'm sure most people can immediately infer why that might be a thing. So they pretty much act on hormones once the days start to get longer, once we start to get some rain um, out in the wild, that's what their spring looks like. And during the rainy season is when they start breeding because resources are plentiful, there's lots of daylight. And so basically their hormones just go right into breeding mode and and they they find a nest and they find a mate and they try to produce as many offspring as possible. So naturally parrots living in human care will act on those same exact instincts. So actually right around this time is when we're starting to see a lot of our birds go like, Oh, it's time to breed. And you know, it happens, especially in environments where there's low stress, which is good for us to know because we know that our birds aren't stressed out, but it turns into a, bit of a nightmare when they are constantly acting on these hormones. So even though breeding with birds seems like it would be all bells and whistles and it's beautiful and they get along and there's lots of like, you know, um, 
like sexual displays between mates going on and stuff like that. It oftentimes doesn't really look like that for some of our pairs. And again, we're not trying to breed our birds because we have taken in so many former pets in the past. It doesn't make sense for us to acquire more chicks, especially of parrots. So, um, so mating with some of our pairs that are not meant to be breeding can actually look pretty rough. Um, we've had to separate several of our like bonded pairs because once they start acting on those hormones and once they start like ripping up paper at the bottom of their exhibits, or if we give them enrichment items with boxes that are maybe a little bit too big, that can look like nests and stuff like that. Um, they'll, they'll think it's time to breed and they'll go in there together and it'll immediately turn into an argument, um, which I feel like is like relatively relatable. I don't know. Um, so, so yeah, we have had to separate our hybrids before because if I didn't separate our male from our female, he probably would have given her a very, very serious injury. Um, so breeding doesn't always look super glamorous, I think, with a lot of animals, but particularly with parrots, it can be really difficult to manage. I mean, to be fair, breeding doesn't really look particularly glamorous with humans either. Like, You're so right. <laughs> yeah, I never, yeah. <laughs> We could have whole conversations about, um, you know, having mirrors up and stuff, but that's that's a different podcast. So let, let's Absolutely. get back to the birds. <laughs> let's get back to the birds, please. Yeah. So, so yeah, we don't give the birds mirrors. <laughs> um, breeding just doesn't. It doesn't always. I mean, especially once. I mean, I guess I won't really go into detail about what would happen if there actually were eggs in the nest because that has not happened to us at least any time. I mean, a very long time ago, we were breeding blue and gold and hyacinths, and that's where Ben came from. But um, but we don't do that anymore. And when birds aren't given like the exact right conditions for mating, like nests and nest boxes and stuff like that, then then they kind of just take it as far as they can. And sometimes it can escalate into like really, really amped up hormones that just turn aggressive kind of out of nowhere. So that has happened a lot with our particular hybrid macaws um, and as well as our blue-throated macaws as well. So, so that's one thing. But another thing with the parrots that don't have pairs or aren't pair bonded, they are, of course, most of them are monogamous out in the wild. So and we as humans are kind of their social flock and parrots are really masters at operating on their environment in a way that's going to satisfy their social needs and desires. And that's why we see them having really strong uh, relationships and bonds with humans. But they will absolutely take it to a next level if you give them that sort of information. So we sometimes will be a lot more strict it, during the springtime about how we handle and manage a lot of our birds. For example, if we give a bird a head scratch as a reward, that can sometimes elicit a sexual response. If we get, are giving those head scratches at a weird time or if it comes from certain people, like for me right now, head scratches with our African gray parrot are no-go. I cannot touch that bird's head whatsoever. Even having him on my hand, sometimes he just immediately wants to mate with my hand. And so we'll, in those instances, we'll resort to using like tea perches and just some form of protected contact to not send those mixed signals to the birds. And we want to still be able to manage them. And there are other things we can do, like make sure that their light cycles are very regimented. So they get daylight for exactly eight hours and then, you know, it's lights out. And when the lights are out, it's actually dark in the room. There's no light. And then we can also minimize the amount of sugar we give them. So we eliminate banana and grapes just to kind of relax those hormones a little bit. 
And then, like I said, giving them less enrichment items that'll stimulate making a nest and stuff like that. But they will absolutely take advantage of um, kind of manipulating people. And I don't mean to say that they're manipulative, but that's what they do out in the wild is they're just constantly trying to fulfill those needs. And because they're very social animals and people are basically their their social flock when they don't have a mate, they're going to do that with people. And so I see a lot of companion parrot owners who don't have that information and don't understand those um, social requirements and desires for parrots. And that's why we see a lot of self-mutilating behaviors with parrots because they're acting on those hormones and they, they have all these signals and they're confused. And they're saying, wait a second, you're giving me all the information to mate and you're saying that you want to mate with me, but we're not mating. So what's going on? I don't know what to do with all this and adrenaline and dopamine. So I'm just going to, I'm going to mutilate my feathers and that's sad. So I try to make sure I share that information with the people that I work with. And then we also try to give that information to the public because we get a lot of companion parrot owners that ask us those sorts of questions. So that can be interesting too. Yeah, that's got to be weird to be, look at somebody who owns a bird and be like, "Yeah, he's he he just wants some. He's horny for you right now." <laughs> yeah, like, like he's yeah, that's way an awkward too conversation. Into you, man. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> Thanks for being on again and having a laugh with me, Danny. Y'all can find Danny on Instagram at Danny P O I R I E R. More importantly, you can go check out her adorable dog on Instagram at Shinestagram24. You can also check out Southwick Zoo on Instagram at Southwick Zoo and find them online at southwickzoo.com. Of course, all of these and all the other ones for the other guests can be found in the show notes that you can look at uh, on your podcast app. In this next interview, I talk to Melissa Peterson, a primate keeper from the Memphis Zoo, all about bonobo sex. If you don't already know, bonobos are great apes that are closely related to humans. They are often referred to as the hippie ape because they clearly believe in the ethos of make love, not war. In this segment, we talk all about how bonobos use sex in their society, what kind of sex they have, who they have it with, how consensual it may or may not be. There is a whole lot of deep information here. Once we start to get serious, we don't joke around much because, as much as I am having fun with Rasafari After Dark, I want this to be educational, and there is just so much to learn about this topic. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, Melissa is a first-time guest on the podcast, and I was so excited to have her on. I have to tell you, though, this was a super awkward way to meet a person. To start off by basically saying, hi. Nice to meet you. Go ahead and hit record on your end. Cool. Let's talk about bonobo sex is a unique way to launch a relationship. I am constantly amused at the situations this podcast puts me in. So, uh, yeah, this was another one of those. <laughs> All right. Here is my interview with Melissa Peterson of the Memphis Zoo. All right. So, Melissa, tell me who you are, where you work, and what you do there. I am a primate keeper at the Memphis Zoo. Um, that means I get to take care of pretty much all of our primates um, on grounds. I work with three of the types of great apes. I work with bonobos, orangutans, and gorillas. And then I also work with a various amount of small primates and lesser apes. And actually, I work with five Asian small clawed otters as well. 
You do know that otters aren't um, primates, right? I do know that, but I don't think the people who put us, who put them in Primate Canyon were aware of that. Just, <laughs> just kidding. I, you know, that's a thing at the Memphis Zoo, because you guys also have a red panda exhibit in your cat area. We do, actually. Yes, we do. Oh, we like I, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Very cool. I do love, I do love your zoo. It's a, uh, it's a very cool place. We have a very, very nice zoo, and it's actually my home zoo. I grew up here in Memphis, so I'm really lucky to be able to work there. Oh, very cool. Yeah, Memphis is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I am a touring actor and musician, and the main show I've been with for the last five years is Million Dollar Quartet, which is uh, the tale of a night that happened at Sun Records and some of the Sun stars. So I have been to Sun Records in Memphis numerous times and have, have played down there. And I just, yeah, I love I love your town. It's a great place. Awesome. That's that's good to hear. Yeah. All right. So enough being nice. Let's talk about some after dark stuff. Tell me about bonobos sex. Um. Well, bonobos use sex for pretty much anything and everything and all of the time. Um. So they use it as a way to um, bond or a way to apologize or make up with each other or just when they're really excited. Pretty much use it for everything. Now, bonobos are the most... Um, genetically related animal to us, correct? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised it took science and genetics to figure that out because everything that you just right. said kind of applies to humans as well. So we, we've yeah, all heard of makeup okay. sex. We all, we all know these things. <laughs> yes. Bonobos really do know about makeup sex. <laughs> Amazing. So tell me more. Tell me more. You're the expert here. Um, well, what, uh, let's see, what would you like to know? Anything specific? Tell me naughty stories. Um, well, the girls, they have, I wouldn't say shame, but they don't have a preference necessarily of who they're breeding with. So females breed with females. Um, well, I guess I shouldn't say breed. Females have sex with females. Females have sex with males. Males have sex with males. They really don't discriminate. They just breed for different reasons. So obviously males and females will breed to actually, um, have offspring. But then, um, like I said before, they kind of just use sex for everything. That's really fascinating to me. Um, so in, in humans, there's a thing known as the Kinsey scale, which um, basically states that you can be fully heterosexual, fully homosexual, or, or a variety of uh, places in between. And I'm wondering if bonobos also, like, are there fully straight bonobos and fully gay bonobos? Or is it literally just everyone's doing whatever they can to get off? They are all literally pretty much just doing whatever they can to get off. I have not seen or done any research or read anything about, you know, specific just female to female sex or just male to male sex. I think they all just they all just kind of do it all the time. Very cool. Uh, what What's that like for you as a keeper? Well, sometimes it can honestly be a little annoying because if you come <laughs> in with breakfast or something in the morning. So we do. um Medications for our bonobos every morning. Our girls are actually on birth control and they actually receive a um, human form of birth control. So uh, they get their birth control pills in the morning and sometimes they're very excited and then they have to have sex. So then you have to wait on the girls to have sex before they'll come over and take their medicine because they're just in the middle of doing it. So sometimes it can be very, very funny. Sometimes it can be very frustrating and sometimes it can be very awkward. Um, just depending on, you know, kind of what the setup is when 
when the when we have three younger males and when they start having sex, it's the most uncomfortable, um, especially when they're having sex and the, at the front of the glass when there's families around. Okay, so what do you do in that situation? I mean, I know that you can't stop them or wouldn't stop them, but how do you address that with your uh, with the audience there? It kind of depends on my audience and kind of what feedback I'm giving them. So some are getting from them. So sometimes you'll just see parents just like shield their children's eyes and just like run them in the other direction. <laughs> um, sometimes parents will just laugh. Um, sometimes they'll try to distract them. So I kind of go with what the parents doing. Um, so if the parent seems to be trying to distract them, then I'll kind of join in on the conversation and redirect them to something cute. Another bonobo might be doing instead of, you know, the two young boys having sex at the front of the glass. Um, if it's adults, sometimes they don't know what's going on. And so then I explain to them how bonobo society works and kind of educate them a little bit, which they're mostly always very entertained about. Oh, I'm sure. And and so tell me about that a little bit. How does bonobo society work in general, other than obviously just having sex all the time? So bonobo society is actually pretty cool for primate society because it is matriarchal. So the females get to run the show. Um, so they do have... Um, so the, the females will stay with their moms pretty much um, until they reach sexual maturity. And then the boys will stay with their moms throughout life. Um, so that's a little bit different than what you see in other primate social groups where the um, males will go off as they reach sexual maturity and the females will stay. So that's pretty interesting that the males get to stick around with mom for their lives. And then also um, their mom's status within the group kind of claims their status as well. Um, although that may not necessarily mean that they are um, not going to be told what to do by a necessarily lower ranking female. Um, but the boys are all pretty much kept in their place by the females. Very cool. Interesting. I think uh, I think we need more of that in the world. I am all for matriarchal society. <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for yeah. that. <laughs> yep. All right. So um, I'm curious, is there any form of... Um, uh, is there any awareness of like incest or is it literally like, will you have like sons copulating with their mother and siblings copulating with each other and stuff like that? Um, so you do not see mothers and sons having sex actually. Um, I think in a society where maybe there was no other option, you might see that, but because there are um, females unrelated to our males, it's not seen in groups. Um, in captivity or in the wild, unless there's like a rare occasion. Um, however, the boys that I, um, that we work with are all siblings and they will obviously have sex with each other. And I've never, and I work with a pair of sisters also, and they will have sex, but obviously it's for, it's not necessarily for breeding purposes, yeah, but you right. don't see, um, but what's interesting is that you will see, I guess, brother and brother, um, having sex for whatever reason they are having sex for and sister and sister doing it. Um, but you don't see mother and son doing it. And, but I've never worked with a, um, mother daughter pair. So I'm honestly not sure if mother daughters, um, will engage in sexual acts or not. Okay. Good to, good to know. Um, this is all all fascinating to me, uh, and I don't know if I don't, I don't know what that says about me. But hey, whatever. Um, we're here to learn. We're here to learn. So, are we talking just hand stuff, or are we talking mouths, or are we talking full on everything they can get? You know, even the male and male, all that kind of stuff. 
Um, so with the females, so I guess something else I should say too is with the females, we call it uh, genital to genital rubbing or GG rubbing is something that we call it. You actually call um, it GG rubbing. You have a, we a call it GG rubbing. Yes. Yes, Amazing. we call it Gigi rubbing. <laughs> and um, so obviously that's not sexual intercourse. So the females will rub their um, vaginas together when they're Gigi rubbing or when they're bonding or making up or whatever. Um, the males will, there actually will be penetration with the males to the females. And something I learned more recently is that there is actually penetration with male on male, which was not something I'm sure that I actually wanted to know. But hey, I'm a bonobo keeper. It was bound to happen sometime. And how did you learn this lesson? Two boys at the front of the glass and them doing it in front of the public. <laughs> that is how I learned that lesson. That was a fun day. Yeah. Oh, boy. So is it is it always consensual? Okay, so... <laughs> oh, the face that you are making right now. I am so sad this is an audio-only podcast. <laughs> so, I've okay, I'm trying to say this politically correct. I've never seen any... I've never seen anyone been held down, obviously, in order to engage in sex. But I have seen where it looks like another female does not show interest in wanting to breed with the female who's dominant and saying, come on, we're doing this now. Um but she will eventually be like, okay, fine, let's do it. So I wouldn't say like that she, I wouldn't say that, you know, I wouldn't use the word rape involved, but I would say that, you know, sometimes she's not interested or we have a female who's not interested. Um, and then another female will kind of force it and be like, oh no, we're doing this. And so eventually she'll cave. Sounds like every marriage as presented in every bad sitcom <laughs> from the nineties, right? Like, <laughs> yep, sure does. <laughs> It's like, Amazing. fine, okay, I guess if you want to, but let's just make it fast. Yeah, I'm, I need to go to sleep, do what you have to do. It's fine, whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. I promise, and since you're, uh, you're my, you know, you're, you're a first-time guest, I, we're, I'm not normally like this. This is very, very, very specific for this episode. Well, I'm glad that you started with, like, this isn't going to be necessarily um, conservative, because before I was thinking, oh my gosh, how... Am I going to make this family friendly or is he going to let me just talk about everything? I don't know what to expect. So. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. I um, the everyone else that I'm interviewing for this is someone who not only have I interviewed, but I've gotten close with. I have like personal relationships okay. with I've joked with about sex in the real world with most of them. I've met their spouses and stuff like so it's been super comfortable. And then I'm like, oh, here's this girl. <laughs> OK, but I bonobo seemed like a really good topic for this. So uh but yeah, bonobo sex is definitely a very good topic for for Valentine's Day. <laughs> so okay, so let's 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 move away from sex for just a second and talk about romance. Um, is there any aspect of that? Because I know you said it's used for a lot of different things. I mean, is sex used for for bonding? And and is there any um, displays or any kind of affection behind this, or is it all just pure sex? From what I've experienced, it's all really just pure sex. It doesn't seem to be anything intimate necessarily. Um, but like I did say, they do use it for bonding. That's one of the ways that they get to know each other. Um, even in um, like introduction situations where we're introducing new bonobos to each other, you hear about them um, actually having sex through the mesh. Like it's just it's their way of getting to know getting to know each other. Having sex through the mesh. Wow. Yeah. Zoo glory holes. That is not a place I expected to go with this uh, with this conversation. 
They do. <laughs> I've never actually seen it because I've never been a part of Bonobo introductions, but I have heard that that is something that they do. So, okay. So you are a human. I, I think you know that. Yeah. I think, yes. And um, so do you ever get uh, and I know it's protected contact, but do you ever get hit on or approached or has, you know, is there any, are they ever going for any interspecies stuff? I know you're not interested, but are they? They have never shown that kind of interest in me. However, I do have a coworker who said that, so we no longer have like an adult male bonobo. All of our boys are, they're in adolescence now. They are getting older, but our adult male actually died. Um, before I started working there. Um, so I never knew him, but I did hear that he would breed his female bonobos while looking very intently at one of our fellow keepers. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Yeah. And imagine just how awkward that would be because it's just, yeah. Yeah. Having, yeah. So yeah, you have that yeah. to look forward to as your little guys grow up. Right. Yeah. Hopefully not. But we have a a little off topic of bonobos. We have an adult male silverback who um, does masturbate towards people that he's very interested in. And I will say that can be a very awkward situation because he'll just stare you down. (laughs) All right. So for any of you who are listening who are zookeepers and who are also exhibitionists, um, Apply to the Memphis Zoo and uh, the, uh, the the primate program. <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. I'm the worst. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're very welcome. It was nice to meet you and um, pretty cool to be part of this. Yay. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh, having that conversation with me. What a way to start a friendship. All right. Uh, Yeah, all of that conversation was so interesting. And, you know, I really do think it's worth remembering as you hear all of those stories and process what you just heard, that bonobos are our closest living relatives in the animal kingdom. Humans share roughly 98.7% of their DNA with bonobos, which is a similar number to chimps, which we're also very closely related to. You can learn more about the Memphis Zoo at memphiszoo.org and check them out on Instagram at memphiszoo. Also, you can definitely expect to hear more from Melissa in the future as we are planning on doing a full episode together. Yay! I'm really excited to have Melissa back on the pod in a way less awkward conversation. You know, while Valentine's Day is often focused on romantic love, there are plenty of kinds of love out there. And I don't think it would be right to do a zoo podcast about love without sharing a story of the love shared between a keeper and their animal. So for that, I turned to Kara McSweeney, who you may remember from episodes 14 and 15 of the podcast, Go Out and Find Your Own Resplendent Quetzal, and The Hermione of Hoofstock. Of course, she got that second title because Kara looks a lot like Emma Watson, who played Hermione Granger in the Harry Potter movies. Anyway, this short tale is the perfect story of pursuing love against all odds. It's a tale as old as time, but this one has a twist. The love being sought after is that of a taper. So, without further ado, here is a quick story of love with Kara McSweeney. One of my favorite 
memories probably of working with tapers is a little baby. He's not a baby anymore, but uh, a little baby taper named Cusco who uh, from day like one or two was always very curious about, you know, us being around and they would, we would always feed his mom snacks. So then he would always wonder if we had snacks, which was a great way to bond with him. Um, And as he got older, he would always, you know, be interested in if we had snacks and his mom uh, was very social and, you know, during her pregnancies would let us, you know, give her belly rubs, uh, which was helpful for ultrasounds. But, you know, as he got older, he would also realize, ooh, I too love belly rubs. Um, so we would go in, you know, and we'd be able to look at their feet and um, do other medical things, which was really nice. But he was always, you know, looking at me and and I always would ask him, you know, am I your favorite human <laughs> slash can I please be your favorite human? And he would always give me this look like, where are the snacks? So I feel like maybe that's him saying, sure, you can be my favorite human if you give me all of your snacks, which I was always willing to do. I'm not above bribery and also it's helpful for training, um, And so I like to say that I'm his favorite human. We don't know if that's true. There's no way to check. But we can just say that I'm Cusco's favorite human. Well, Kara, I can't speak for Cusco, but I can confirm that you're one of my favorite humans. So that's got to be worth something, right? Y'all can check Kara out on Instagram at karamc3. Kara is also good friends with my buddy and former guest Lauren Lott, who runs Kairos Creature Collective. You can check out the amazing animal-themed clothing she designs at kairoscreaturecollective.com. Lauren does really amazing work. I can't recommend it highly enough. Hmm. What's that I see over there? A spark of light coming across the horizon? Oh, man. I think that must be the sun starting to rise. And that means it's time for Rasafari After Dark to come to an end. I hope y'all had as much fun on this journey through some adult topics pertaining to zoo animals as I did, and that you, you know, learned a lot, laughed a lot, all that good stuff. I'll make sure to post all of the various websites and Instagram accounts in the show notes so you can follow Danny, Melissa, Kara, and Laura. And uh, don't worry, the regular theme song will be back next week. I know y'all love it and have been missing my buddy Nate on guitar and bass. But until then, here's one more take on the Yexus Stiderk. Well, that's our sexy show. I hope you found it titillating. The Rossafari After Dark theme song was composed and performed by me, Sean Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a sexy review as it helps others find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari. Now stop listening to me and go visit a zoo. Oh yeah.